good morning. How's everybody doing? Welcome, welcome. My name is Brett. If this is your first time here, I want to welcome you guys. Thank you for joining us. We are going to continue our time of worship right now. So if you guys can, join me in, in prayer right now. Father, we give you all that we have this morning. As we walk through those doors with our baggage, our struggles, our hurts, our scars, we give them to you this morning. And we know, Lord, that this morning you will use all of those things for your glory. You have a plan for our hearts and our lives. And as we go through these trials, you will never leave us. As we go through these trials, we don't know what they're for, but you have a plan down the road and you are gonna use them. So we give you our hearts, we give you our minds, we give you our voices. Use them this morning, God, for your glory. And we give you all that we have this morning. We give you this worship. We give you all the glory this morning. For you are the living God. And we worship you this morning. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name.
There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning And I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire is standing next to me there was another in the waters holding back the seas and should i ever need reminding of how i've been set free there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me there is another in the fire
count the joy come every battle cause I know that's where you'll be I count the joy come every battle cause I know that's where you'll be I count the joy come every battle cause I know that's where Let's give it up for Jesus in this place. You can be seated. I have the honor and privilege of sharing, giving encouragement this morning. And uh, praying through it this week, I was reading this book uh, called The Way of the Warrior by Erwin McManus. And it's not like just some he-man book it's for everybody but his whole point is that the war we're fighting is a war for peace that there's a peace that we're trying to access that we can't seem to get and that's why we live in a culture today that is more anxious more depressed than any culture before um any time before in history and he says this thing and i think this is really interesting i'm going to read it to you he just says this we struggle with envy because we want life that a life that isn't ours We struggle with greed because we want to possess what is not ours to have. We struggle with feelings of insignificance because we have made our worth dependent on the opinions of others. Dang. We struggle with identity because we don't know who we are outside of what we do. We struggle with loneliness because we are searching for love rather than giving it. Yeah, wow. I read that and I was just like, dang, like God, I felt like God just hit me with that. And when it came to giving, it was this realization when it broke, when he talked about greed, we live in a culture that, that is all about getting yours. You got to get yours. And that it offers, it promises joy, it promises peace, it promises all these things. But what it ends up actually being is just more stress. Because now you're just watching your bank account, making sure that everything's covered and you got everything you need all the time. And the interesting thing about the longer you're in relationship with Jesus, the more you realize everything that he promotes through scripture tends to be exact opposite of what culture's teaching you. And culture always seems to try to be teaching us the same, the opposite of what scripture's wanting to present. And God is sitting here saying, look, the reason we fight against this idea of greed is greed is a powerful tool of the enemy. Wars have been started because of greed. Relationships ruined because of greed businesses, full governments toppled because of greed. Greed wants its place in each of our hearts. We all can be greedy in different ways. And this idea of how you fight greed is not by just getting enough to where you feel better about it. It's actually by being generous, open-handed. Scripture is is clear that we want, you want more, be open-handed. We've, the reason why we talk about this intentionally on Sunday mornings is not because we want y'all to feel uncomfortable, but it's because we are intentional that Journey Church will be known for its generosity, and we are, but we want to continue to promote and remind ourselves again and again that it is not taking that is going to give us the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that everybody's promising it's going to. It's by being generous, open-handed that God says, look, now that this no longer has its fangs in your, and, it, you know, and its claws in your heart, I'm going to pour out all over you. We have, Jesus goes so far as to give incentives. It's one of the things that Jesus talks most about in the New Testament. He talks a lot about money. But one of the things I, I'm interested in is how many parents I got in this room? You all know about incentives for your kids? 
You know about incentives, right? Some of you had incentives for them this morning. If you don't embarrass me at church today, I promise you we can go wherever you want for lunch. Huh? We know, we know. Incentives are a powerful tool that parents know they got to give to their kids sometimes to help promote the right behavior. We, you know, re what's rewarded gets repeated, they say. So we want to reward that. But God also knows that with his kids, and so he gives incentives. And one of the things he says is, watch and see if I don't pour out blessings from the floodgates of heaven when we are generous with, our, with what we have, with our resources. Y'all, it is not just that you're going to give a 20 and God's going to put a 20 in your pocket and you're going to get walk outside and be like, where did that come from? That's so crazy. The whole point is that money and what we have doesn't get its claws into us, that our identity is not found in it, our security is not found in it, that it is found in him, all of it. And the more free we are, the more free he's able to be, and it just gets poured out. And this heart of generosity, suddenly you found that what that promised, the peace, the security, all of that, you have without it. Because it was never intended to come from money. It was intended to come from our Savior. So this morning we're going to pray. As the, as the ushers come, we're going to pray over our giving this morning. And I'm going to pray for God to just begin to pour out what it looks like to see blessings in our lives as a result of taking him up on his incentives. Because this is one area where he just says, test me. Everything else he says, don't. But in this one way, go for it. So let's just fight this morning the war against what peace is being promised out there in the world and actually start fighting for it the way that God actually calls us to. Jesus, we thank you this morning that we have the opportunity that all of our resources are from you anyways. I pray that this morning we would begin to find what you offer in living life your way. I pray that we would be encouraged and inspired that as we live lives of generosity, we can't outgive you. There's, we can't outlove you. We can't outserve you. We can't uh, be more generous than you. So, Father, this morning I pray that as we give, that it wouldn't be just for the church and, and out of guilt, but, God, that we would just experience the fullness of the fact that you offer us life to the full when we live it in accordance with what you've said, what you've set up. So we're grateful, and we thank you in advance. Bless those um, who are trying to just put you in that position in their hearts, God. We thank you for what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, while the, the buckets are going around, Talia is going to join me on stage for some announcements this morning. While yeah. that's going on, though, fifth and sixth grade, you are dismissed to head to your classrooms for some good Bible teaching this morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? That is, I don't believe it. Some people are doing some people. good. You, some people are not awake yet, but that's okay. Um, good morning. Um, welcome to Journey. If you're new today, um, first, okay, wait. So, yeah, if you're new, this is my first time doing announcements. So She's doing sorry. great. Sorry. She's doing great. <laughs> um, so, if you're new today, welcome. Um, if you're a new mother, we have a cry room back there. Um, if your child is getting fussy, you can enjoy the service from back there without disrupting anybody. Um, also, if you're new, we have a gift for you at the hotspot. That's out the door to the right, and that's where all the information for everything is. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online this morning. We got some incredible things coming up this last week. How many of you guys were able to make it to our Wednesday night kickoff? Oh. All right, four of you. <laughs> 
It's perfect. Well, we're excited because this is a brand new thing Journey has going. We are, it was kicked off this last week. If you missed it, you missed out. I missed it. But we've got it going on again this Wednesday. So you want to join us. The crash is meeting at the other building. They're going to be starting at 6 o'clock with their hangs time. And then their program will kick off at 6.30. Uh, we've got kids ministry. They were outside like running wild, getting wet, <laughs> having water slides and all kinds of crazy stuff. So that was awesome. And then our adults met inside in here. And this week we're going to continue that. You're going to have the opportunity to dive into some deeper relationships. We're going to continue on. It's going to be really exciting. You don't want to miss it. The other yes. thing. Oh, the women's retreat. We do have a yes, women's, the retreat. women's retreat. We need you guys to sign up. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be October 4th through 6th in uh, Lake Hughes. Um, and it's not camping. I don't know. I think people think yeah, it's camping. They're glamping. They're glamping. You're going to be glamping. You're going to be in a hotel, and you're going to get to bond with the ladies and just have a good time. It's going to be relaxing, and it's going to be great. I mean, you're gonna it's not it. an actual hotel, but it's like hotel-style rooms. Yeah, it's rooms. the style. So it's going to be great. You don't yeah. want to miss this. They have a speaker this yeah. year. So uh, we have Amy Garcia coming out, and she's going to be speaking to our ladies. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a good time to connect, get together. You have your own bathrooms. You're not even going to be going to the bathroom in an outhouse. Yeah. It's like you're yeah, glamping, y'all. Like it's going to be great. You're going to enjoy it. Don't miss it. But if you are not able to attend, but God is putting on your heart, you can also sponsor yes. another lady by going to the hotspot. You can uh, put some Put uh, some money so they can go. Yeah, you can fund somebody else to go and, and be blessed by this women's experience. Yes. So that's going to be incredible. Yes, exactly. But we got one last thing. Oh, one last thing. Okay, so today is like a super duper special day because we are celebrating 18 years of the Elmores serving us at this church and leading our hearts to Jesus. Yes, so we've got a little something for them, for our pastor. Yes. Because you can take this. You don't have to come all the way up on stage. Yeah. My mom yes. was supposed to be in here this service, but she oh. snuck into first service instead. Oh. But we oh, want to obviously always honor our leadership, yes. and 18 years of serving in the AV is no small yeah. thing. Yeah, give them a hoot and a holler. So we're excited for them. Woo! <laughs> Make sure to give them a hug and say thank you after service. Or just send them a text. Or just, yeah, or give them a hug. Hugs are great. <laughs> Everybody all right, hugs. but otherwise, that's all we have for you yes. this morning. Go ahead and stand up and greet someone yeah. next to you or meet someone new. Meet someone new. Good morning, all you friendly folks. You can hug somebody after church. Let's go. Let's get going here. Hey, I'm Dave, one of the pastors, and I'm excited about today. We are rolling into a brand new series and a brand new season. The fall is upon us. I mean, did somebody order new weather or what? It's like crazy already, cool. And uh, 
We're excited you guys are here at church, everybody online. Um, this is going to be a great week as well as a great series. We're, we're going to a series we're calling Follow Me. Actually, we're calling it The Way because The Way is all about Jesus saying, follow me. And follow me doing what? Follow me into a brand new way of living. And this is going to be exciting. I got a couple verses for you just to kick off this morning. Then we're going to break it down and get into our study. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight <clears throat> that Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I don't know what was in your backpack when you came in the door this morning. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what's on your mind. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know what relationships are just kind of really tweaking you, what situations are really squeezing you. I don't know what's going on that's making you feel heavy. But the invitation Jesus gave is come to me, all of you. We're going to break that down today about what does he mean by all of you. But he's telling us that he wants to take that burden, he wants to take that load, he wants to take that whatever that is that's crushing you right now. And there's a religious overtone to the original language here that some of you have just been crushed by religion. You've been crushed by expectation. You've been crushed by a lot of these things. And I want to I give you some rest. And then he goes on, take my yoke upon you. And in first century vernacular, the yoke was a rabbi would basically take the Torah, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He would interpret that for the generation he was living in. He would help them understand what the writings of the script meant and how we live it. And each rabbi had their own particular take on how things were interpreted and how to do it. And they called their take on it their yoke. Their teachings on the Torah were called their yoke. So Jesus was saying, I want you to help. I want you to come to me and I'm going to help you interpret God's world through God's eyes. I'm going to give you the direct line for how God wanted the world to be lived in the life that you've been given. And I want you to come to me because the yoke I have, he goes on, the yoke, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. And somebody needs that today. This is the invitation of Jesus. A life with the easy yoke of our Messiah. That's where we're going in the series. How this humble, gentle God wants to give you the life that you've dreamed of and yearned for, as Tyler talked about this morning. Then John 14, 6, he goes on, he says, uh, Jesus told him, I am the way. We're talking about the way, the series, the way. Jesus said, well, guess what? I'm going to give it away right now. I am it. Jesus said, I am the way. <clears throat> I'm the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, all your attempts to get God's attention, he goes, listen, listen, you just have to come to me. I'm going to show you everything you need to know about the Father. I'm going to lead you to the Father. Your connection with God, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, Jesus said. I'm going to lead you. <clears throat> now, when we think about our connection with God and how it, how it mean, what it means to follow him, to be in this connection, relationship with God. Some of you may have come up in a story like mine. How many of you were raised in church? Any church, okay, your whole life kind of in church? Well, then some of you know, because in my background, in my experience, um, I came to think of church kind of like Simon Says. Anybody ever play Simon Says? All right, Simon Says, and you got to do whatever Simon Says. Well, I, I kind of learned the version of it. It's like the Bible says, right? 
The Bible says, stand up. So we stand up. The Bible says, pray. So we pray. The Bible says, turn to your neighbor and say something silly. I don't know. We do that in church. And we do that. So whatever the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And then all of a sudden, don't look over there. And we look over there. I'm like, oh, caught you. Caught you. And when you break the rule, you're out of the game. It's interesting. Problem is, I tried really, really hard to play the, the Bible says game. And I tried really, really hard because... I was good at hearing all the rules and getting all the, the structure, and yet I wasn't really good at following all the time. I wasn't really good at getting everything right, so I'd break the rules, I'd feel terrible about myself, I'd go and I'd, I'd repent, I'd go to some camp, get all fired up, get my energy back, get my discipline back, and head back in and do it again. But the problem was this do better theology that I was living under, it just made me feel really inadequate and terrible. And like I was never going to make it. As a matter of fact, what was on the line was heaven. Because if you don't do right, you don't go to heaven. And that's the whole point. And, and I really tried hard, but I just couldn't keep it straight long enough to get it. Interesting thing. When I was doing well, and the disciplines were better, I had this weird thing about looking at other people and kind of judging their, their game. How are you doing what the Bible says? You're not doing so good. Bible says don't do that. You're doing that. And it's funny because it was even easy to judge people who weren't even playing the game. People who haven't even signed up for this. And he was like, hey, Jesus, it's not fair. I have to play Bible says. Why aren't they playing Bible says? They're not living by the rules, and, and it looks, their lives are easier. This isn't fun. Or, or maybe even sometimes, which was more fun, was when you catch other people who are playing the game when they mess up. Ah, I saw what you did. Bible says don't do that. You did that. And you, you feel a little bit better about your mistakes when you point out somebody else's mistakes. And church, church people play these games. They don't call it this. It's not so juvenile. But we do some of these things. And it's really, maybe some of you grew up in church and the faith tradition was all about the do, 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 don't, don't, don't. <clears throat> and you weren't good at it. And to be honest, um, I'm not here to bash any of the teachings or to say that the doctrines don't matter. The doctrines matter just like getting in the right direction on the freeway matters. It matters you're going the, the right direction when you get on the freeway. It really matters. I'm not saying that those rules and those things don't matter. What I'm saying is it's not the starting point of what God has for us. And what we have in t today is this incredible opportunity to hear the invitation of our God to what is the beginning place. Because I bet some of you, if, if I were to ask you personally, if we had a conversation over coffee, where are you in your spiritual journey? I bet some of you walked away long ago because you felt like, I can't keep up. I can't keep the rules. I, keep, I messed up. Uh, I was shamed. I was whatever. I bet some of you felt frustrated just by the situation, and you weren't consistent enough. You weren't disciplined enough. And so maybe you kind of gave up. I mean, some people gave up to the point where they're like, fine. <clears throat> I mean, I, I can't, I quit. I can't keep the rule. I can't be good enough for this program. I mean, if, if you're saying I'm going to hell, I don't want to go to hell. No, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't know what else to tell you because I can't be perfect. I mess up. And here's the great news. <clears throat> if we could take a little sponge and just kind of absorb a lot of your background, a lot of your mental anguish if we just kind of remove from some of you today what your faith experiences look like and what your perception of god and this invitation is and if we were able to remove 
your history and your background in the church world and then just pour into you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If we were just to do like a brain dump today and just give you the four gospels, the four eyewitness accounts of these guys who walked with, talked with, and with, uh, you know, interviewed those who were living with Jesus, I think you would see things very differently. You'd see a very different God in a very different way of living. That's what Jesus came to invite you into. Jesus takes the old covenant, he takes the Torah, he takes all the teachings of the Old Testament, and he becomes them, he fulfills them, he becomes the, the central point of it all, of the story, and then he breaks open a brand new way to relate to God without animal sacrifice, without temple worship, without the way we have to dress and the things we have to say and all the ritual. Jesus introduces us to a brand new way of relationship with God. And this is what we're talking about today. <clears throat> I want you to start kind of with a blank slate if it were possible, because what you're going to discover as we go through the text today is that the actual accounts of Jesus' life and teachings are extremely relational. It's extremely relational. You'll work hard to turn it into a list of do's and don'ts. I mean, it is so relational. It's extraordinary relational, and, and it's like relational on steroids. The fact that Jesus, the one of the reasons he came was to help us understand the Father. And he said, look, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not only that, he goes, I want to use some metaphors. I'm going to show you what life with the Father is like. I want to show you what's available to you now that I have come. And he gave three basic metaphors that were just kind of like so powerful for people who had lived under Torah and do's and don'ts to find that God had a new way of relating. The first one was this. I want you to think of your relationship to God as a father-child relationship. God says he wants to be our father, our Abba. He wants to look out for us just like a, a father is crazy about his kids. God is crazy about you. He wants you to call him father, and that's the relationship he wants. Another one, a shepherd. A shepherd with their sheep. This is right out of a, the agrarian culture, which was sheep and shepherds everywhere. And he's saying, look, look, when you see a shepherd, do you see how close they are with their sheep? I mean, the shepherd knows his sheep. He actually names them. The shepherd has a relationship with them. He has so in, just related to them that the voice of the shepherd is the only voice they'll follow. They'll run from anybody else. The father wants you to have a relationship like that. I want you to, and here's what you need to know. I am a good shepherd, Jesus said. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. They trust me. And when I call, they follow. A shepherd and his sheep. And then Jesus goes on. He goes, for, for those of you who are more into gardening, here's another metaphor. The God of heaven wants a relationship you, with you like a vine has with its branches. I mean, it's just into them. It's like connected so deeply that the life source, everybody knows that the vine or the trunk is what draws the nutrients. It goes to its root system, draws up all the life out of the earth, and then it just flows into the branches and the branches that are receiving all that energy and that life it produces fruit and jesus said that's the relationship i have that's the life i have on offer i want to be the trunk i want to be the vine i want to be that system that brings life and gives it to you that's the relationship god is offering now now compare that with the metaphors that you have about the god you grew up with or the way that you were kind of understood it to be it's just maybe it's not as intensely relational as this is 
I don't know where we, we got this whole idea of the Bible says game. <clears throat> but to be honest, as I've discovered to my joy, I was just wrong. I don't know if it was just my interpretation, but I was wrong. And maybe your experience was more like this other game we play. In youth ministry, this game that we played, it was the blindfold game. And it was an obstacle course. So what we did is we'd take four students and we'd put them on the stage. And we'd take four other students and we'd put them out there and we'd have an obstacle course. Well, these students all had a partner and we'd blindfold their partner and the students on the stage had to call out. Maybe you've watched this on Survivor if you watch the best show on TV. Anyway, this, this is a game where you have to, by your vocal coaching, you have to lead them through an obstacle course. And sure enough, I mean, as they're on the stage, it's like, oh, left, 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 go right, right, right. And the whole crowd is yelling different commands and trying to confuse the other teams because they only want their team to win, but only the person up front can give the actual directions. And as they're yelling, turn left, like, no, no, but boom, they hit the post. It's like, no, no, that's the post. Yeah, I found that. Now I know that. Thank you so much for your wisdom and, and guidance. And some of you have felt that way in your walk with God, that you are taking the cues from somebody who's a little further along or has a different vantage point, and they're trying to give you the information to help you get to the destination. But let's be honest, folks. If I'm the one on the stage and I'm calling out the cues and I'm trying to tell you the best that I can do is not going to be good enough. There are going to be times when you're just not going to see from my perspective. You're not going to hear what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to say it in a way that actually connects correctly. I can't give you enough information in 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. You just can't depend on me to be your guide to all things in your spiritual life. I'm just telling you, how much better would the game be if you could just take off the blindfold and see the obstacles yourself? That's the invitation. So many of you have waited. You've been in a church or in a, in a spiritual story where somebody's been trying to lead you and that person screwed up. They gave the wrong directions or they themselves were not walking the path and it's destroyed some faith in you, some hope in you, some belief in you. And I'm just telling you, don't put your faith in the caller on the stage. Put your faith in the guide who made you, whose voice is actually to be known by you who wants to literally take you by the hand and lead you. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get you out of the mode where you have to hear from the person on the stage. Now, I'm going to be here, and I'm going to do my doggone best to give you as clear and precise directions as I can. But I'll be honest, I can't hit everybody every time exactly where you're at. So you've got to learn to listen to the voice of God, and that's what this is about, to, to find you in that place where you are like, I'm beginning to hear the ways God leads. I'm beginning to sense God's voice. I'm beginning to discern God's guidance. And I'm beginning to follow. <clears throat> so today, um, because if your approach to God or Christianity is anything other than relational, please understand, you've missed the point because you've been invited into an extraordinary relationship. And if having a relationship with an invisible God is confusing or difficult, well, then you're in the right place because that's what we're talking about for the next number of weeks. How to follow the way. Because what happened in the early church is once people began to follow the practices of Jesus, again, they literally started walking like Jesus. They got in line behind their rabbi and they began to mimic his way of living, his way of thinking, his way of, of giving, his way of serving, his way of everything. They began to mimic his way and the, the more they mimicked it, the more they were little Christs. And they, be called, they began to be called the way. The way 
the way to God, the way to, the way to the, the Messiah, the way. That's what movement we're in. The people who come in behind Jesus and we get so good at mimicking him that people just said, oh man, that's the way of Jesus. That's the way. Not that's the religious way or that's the church way or that church down the street does it this way. No, we want to find out what is the way and practice the way of Jesus. That's the only way you're going to have life to the full. But to be, begin with, I want to just camp on one word for our time today. I just want to camp on this one word, and it's the word follow. And this amazing invitation Jesus offered begins with this one place. How do we learn the way? It begins with an invitation. The invitation is this, follow me. And the invitation goes out to people that you would not even imagine. And so for all of us today, I mean, I don't care what your story is. If you are in church, out of church, returning to church, hate church, got invited here by somebody that you think is pretty good looking, and so you showed up, whatever. This, I pray, will be an invitation that you will hear ringing in your ears as it were from the very lips of Jesus. Follow me. So here we go. We're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 9, and we're just going to work our way through the passage today. Because we want to give it, a, this is a story, um, and the invitation comes from a guy who actually ended up following Jesus so much that he, that he authored one of the biographies that we find in the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew is the very first writer that we have in our New Testament. His story is a remarkable story. This is not a guy who just got information from some other person who got it from some other person. This is a guy who literally had his life turned upside down by an experience, an encounter that became a lifestyle, that became the way. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, so Jesus was in a community. He was ministering to the people's needs, and it's time to go. So as he went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. All right, notice again, who's writing the story? Matthew. Who's the story about? himself all right so Matthew was sitting at a tax collector's booth now <clears throat> because obviously he was a tax collector so I'm trying to think of a good equivalent for all of us who don't have to deal with the IRS every day a tax collector was like the IRS guy who lived next door and he watched everything you do um, maybe just to get the emotional connection correct um, have you been getting the 800 number call that says your social security number has been violated or any of you get here that's something like that, right? That guy, right? It's a scammer who you know is trying to take advantage and yet you can't stop him. It's like he's got your number and somehow he's getting it. And by the way, do not. You did not have your social security number violated or whatever they're lying to you. They're just trying to get the information from you so they can mimic your accounts and produce credit in your name and bankrupt you, basically. So don't fall for it. But... What we're feeling, that feeling of, yuck, I hate them. Why are they, they're ripping off people who don't know any better. That's so disgusting. That's exactly how it felt for the Jewish people to have their neighbor or a guy in their community as their tax collector. See, what you need to understand is the way that Rome worked is that Rome, as they conquered more and more civilizations around them, more cultures, more countries, more people, they had to get control and they also had to get income from all of those to keep its vast empire under control. They had to have more money. So every single community was levied taxes either in coinage or in the produce of what they were making. Probably both. 
So what they did in order to control these far reaches of the Roman Empire is they would actually auction off the right to collect taxes. So the wealthy people would come and they would bid on this like a franchise war. They were trying to get the franchise to be the tax collector of that region because that meant that the gov government of Rome would give you the authority and the, and the power, the military backing to go assess and then collect the taxes of that region. But what they would do is they would win the franchise and then they would go to that region, that local area, and they would look for local people to represent them in that community. So they're looking for a guy who knows everybody. They're looking for somebody who's like, oh, this person knows they're real connected. They know everybody's business. They know who has how many sheep and how many eggs they produce and all these kind of, oh, sheep don't produce eggs. You got that. How many eggs the chickens produce. They, they got all of that figured out. So then they would hire that person right out of their own community to snitch on, to turn on, to report on their neighbors. That person was the tax collector. And they were the ones, and what happened is they would say, here's what Rome, here's what Rome wants. Rome wants, say, 10% of the income, but Rome has given me the authority and the permission to take as much as I can on top of that, as much as the community will allow. So basically, so, so tack on my other 5%, 10% on top of that, and you get to keep the 5% of yourself or whatever you tack on. So it was just kind of a hand down, kind of we're going to take what we can and then a little more. Well, these people... This is the guy who's looking over your fence to count your sheep. This is the guy who's watching how many mouths you're feeding and how much you're producing and whether or not you're trying to barter so you're pretending like you don't make that much money. This is the person, and they're turning you into Rome. They were considered the greatest traitors to the Jewish people or to the community. They were hated. In Jewish regions, man, people who were hired to collect the taxes were considered turncoats, traitors, the worst. They hated them. And that's what Matthew was for a living. That's what he did. He owned the local franchise. He was the one that took your taxes. So Jesus comes along. He sees this guy who's abusing his own people, his own culture, taking advantage of them. And what would you think Jesus would say when he walks up to the guy? He sees this guy who's got this horrible reputation. You would expect him to say, oh, isn't your mother proud? Wouldn't your mom, you know, you're so, but he doesn't. It's very interesting to me what he does not say. We look at this situation and what Jesus says. He walks up to Matthew at his booth and he says, verse 9, follow me. I mean, I bet there was just an audible groan from everybody who was surrounding and following Jesus. And they'd be like, what? Oh, it's a joke, right? He's, he's joke. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, like he would have any business with this. What? He's serious. What in the world? The rabbi, the most spiritual person we've ever met, the closest to God person we've is trying to have this guy. Somebody tell Jesus who this guy is. Please, somebody explain the system to Jesus. But he knew. This is so important. Jesus could have said anything he wanted, but basically the simplicity of all, Jesus looks at the guy and says, follow me. Follow me. Now, Jesus is a rabbi. Remember, this is his beginning part of his ministry. He's just getting started in his public ministry. He's gathering his inner circle so the rabbi would basically go and they would interview people from the three schools of the rabbinical teaching. The rabbinical schools, there are three levels of the teaching. They would take the ones that had gone from the first to the second to the third. They'd made, and very few people made it all the way through all three schools. And only the best of the best of the best would be selected. They'd have to memorize the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament. They'd have to understand and know and have memorized the rabbi's personal yoke, his take on it. 
and they had to be ready for anything the rabbi threw at them. That's how you, you'd put in your application, you would try the best. But here's Jesus, not going to the rabbinical schools, not looking among the best of the best of the students. He's going to the worst of the worst of the sinners and saying, he's collecting his inner circle, he's collecting his group, he's collecting his, his Talmudim or his Matates, which basically means his apprentices, those who would then take his yoke and spread it after he dies. He's inviting this inner circle, and who does he invite? The worst sinner imaginable. And we just look at it like, wait, it can't be that simple. Really, Jesus? Eyebrows raised, people walking away in disgust. Jesus must have lost it. <clears throat> but notice what Jesus does not say, which is where a lot of church leaders get stuck. Matthew, if you're willing to blank, then I'll let you follow me. If you're willing to memorize the old covenant and my, my yoke, if, if you're willing to stop these sins, if you're willing to change these habits, if you're willing to give this money, if you're willing to study this, Jesus says nothing. No qualifiers. No jump through the hoops. No list of 15 do's and don'ts. He's simply, none of that. He simply just, he lacked all the rules-based requirements that most people would expect of a rabbi. He simply says, follow me. I mean, how interesting would it be if in church world we gave up this idea of judging everybody on the rules and we just began to think in terms of, hey, how's it going with your following Jesus? If instead of saying, hey, did you break that rule? We'd say, how was this week in following the rabbi? How was, how's following him going? Am I following is the question more than anything else. Am I following? What if we could just take the Bible says approach out and the clumsy find your way through the dark out and we just basically learned to say, man, am I following? Am I hearing the voice of my, my rabbi? Am I following? Am I in the way? Am I living the way? So if this seems too simple, well, guess what? So did People of his day thought so too. Verse 10 goes on. So while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, what? Stop right there. Where is he? This again. Just, we had a conversation in the street one verse ago. And now he's in the house of this notorious sinner. As a matter of fact, this is interesting. In first century culture, the home was a place of invitation where you would basically claim your status in society. So that is where you would display where you were in this caste system. So if you were one of the lowest of the low, you couldn't invite or expect anybody above your social status to come. So in the home, you would invite those who were at your status or slightly above because it elevates your status. But nobody would invite anybody that would, that would decrease their status. Here's Jesus in the house associating with somebody who would absolutely devastate his social status. And here's the guy who is absolutely at the bottom of social status, having his world elevated like nobody would ever expect it. This is so cool. He said, while he was having dinner at Matthew's house, <clears throat> Jesus, more concerned about building a relationship than a reputation. I love this. Verse 10, while he was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I love this. Even the sinners didn't want to be associated with tax collectors. Like, just give us our own category. Call us sinners. Just don't call us tax collectors, right? They don't even want to be known as them. 
So only, sadly, only the people, the only people who would hang around a tax collector was another tax collector. They were that despised. And here they are, smack dab of this collection of the worst sinners in the community. Right in the middle is the perfect son of God. I mean, if that doesn't give you a little hint about God's heart towards people, I don't know what does. This is Jesus forming his launch party for his ministry that's going to change human history, eternity. And he's collecting the people that will be his right hand. And he's picking Matthew. Let me tell you why this is so important. If you're new to Christianity, just exploring Christianity, been out of church for a while, feel messed up, and you just didn't want to come back, you need to hear this. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were nothing like him. Get this. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them back. As a matter of fact, this is a really big deal. If you have questions and you think, oh, I don't really have a relationship. God wouldn't see me that way. God probably thinks very poorly of me. God is angry at me. God is whatever. I think you want, I think you want to hear something. If you are a wild and extravagant failure at religion, if you are a marked sinner, if even the people who know you don't like you, Jesus likes you. Jesus likes you. Jesus would be sitting at your table if you had an invitation. Jesus would like you. <clears throat> Jesus wouldn't turn away from you because of what you've done or where you've eaten or who you've been with or whether you've colored over the lines and made a scribbled mess of your, of your picture. Jesus likes you. Matthew, follow me. But when Jesus wasn't alone, he was being watched. And so verse 11 tells us what's going on in the background. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? They wanted to know why Jesus would choose this kind of people to associate with. <clears throat> After all, Jesus, you're a church person. You're relig you, you belong over here with church. We're church people. You're church people. You belong here with us. They're not church people. They're not religious. What are you doing with them? Jesus knows something's up. Verse 12, he goes on. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, that's great news for you and me. But that must have been real embarrassing for Matthew. He, what? He's Jesus is talking in front of him. He's like, hey, uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. So, Jesus, you're saying that those guys out there are healthy and I'm sick? And, and wait a minute, Jesus, you're, you're saying I'm sick, right? Is that what you're saying? And I imagine Jesus looking at Matthew and just probably grinning and saying, you're a tax collector, you're sick. And everybody around the table, ah, you know, high-fiving each other, he is, he's sick. You know what, we're all sick, we're all, we're all messed up. I mean, the, the shock of the moment is not that Matthew all of a sudden realized he was a tax collector and he'd ripped off his own friends and neighbors. The shock of the moment was that Jesus said, I am here to bring healing to everyone who's interested in having a whole heart back. For everybody who's fragmented their soul by doing things that they know are a violation of their own conscience, much, much less God's. Those people who have who've divided themselves in a million little splintered pieces over their every violation of their own conscience, I'm here to put them back together. That must have been the best news ever 
They knew they were sick. Folks, they didn't need to be told. How many of you need to be told you're a sinner? I mean, how many of you need to be told you've made some really dumb mistakes in life? You've screwed up. You've fallen short. And if God's standard is perfection, it was Jesus, you don't need me to remind you that you're not him and that you've come short. These guys probably didn't need it, but those disciples, I mean, those Pharisees outside the door, they needed to hear it. Hey, I don't, you think you know, and you think you're well, and because you think you have it, I'm not going to bother with you. Because the only people who need a doctor are people who admit they're sick. The only people who need to be healed are people who admit and recognize they're not well. That's why I'm here. Man, I, I just, this is exciting to me because I can't help but know I'm sick. I can't help but know I'm a screw-up. I can't help but know that. Because I've played the rules game for so long and I've messed up so many times. Like, okay, I just guess I, I guess that's who I am. And Jesus is saying, well, good. You finally admit it? Then we can do something about that. I'm not here for you guys who have it all together. I'm here for the people who know they don't have it together. And I bet Matthew's thinking, wow, that's kind of offensive, but it's the best news I've ever heard. That kind of hurt, but man, that hurt in a way that's going to really, really mean something. Let me tell you something. Only people who are willing to look in the mirror and say, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I am a sinner, are ready to become a follower of Jesus. Plain and simple. He's only inviting the broken, the needy, and the sick to come and be whole and healed. Matthew 9, 13. This is all offensive to them. And the people outside are like, oh my gosh, he didn't just say that. He goes, go and learn what this means. And this is offensive because that's all they did. Pharisees sat around and learned. They, they memorized the whole thing. They knew Hosea before Jesus quotes it. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm not content to hang out with people who think they're good. I'm not content to just be around people who have it all together. I actually have come to bring life to those who are dead and hope to those who are hopeless, not religion to those who are religious. And I just think Jesus wanted us to know that God has something else on his mind besides whether or not you think you're good enough. <clears throat> Through Jesus, there's an opportunity for us anywhere, any, anyone from any background to step back into relationship. And today, man, as we kind of come to a close, Jesus is saying the way to the Father is me. The way to know God is to know Jesus. And if you are the worst sinner in your neighborhood, you qualify. If you're the biggest screw-up in your family, application accepted. If you felt like you have never been the thing that you wanted to be, or somehow you've really been close, but you've just always come up short, which is the whole point of being human, you've, you've failed. You are the one that Jesus is saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. It's not enough to believe right. It's not enough to behave right. In fact, the church that makes it all about believing and behaving right are the churches that become so judgmental that only the people who can take that kind of abuse stay there. It's the people who say, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I'm in that group they call tax collectors and sinners. Maybe not as bad as some, maybe worse than others, but I find myself right in the midst of that. And, and here's what I want. I want to know what it means to live this life as God intended. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you up on that offer. I'm going to follow. The Pharisees' chant was this, change and you can join us. Jesus' command was, join us and you will change. This is our opportunity. The only way to follow Jesus is, first of all, to admit this is the way. The way is this. 
Being a sinner does not disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. Admit you're a sinner. Every single person, Bible says, all have sinned. All have sinned. You're kidding yourself if you don't think so. But that's okay. You're well, Jesus said. He's looking for the sick. It's a it doesn't disqualify you. As a matter of fact, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. Everybody, everybody was a disbeliever when Jesus was crucified. Even his disciples walked away and went back home. Nobody believed until he was raised from the dead. Everybody starts somewhere. And if you don't believe yet and you're still thinking, man, I I'm not qualified to follow Jesus. Well, then I think you're a perfect candidate. Being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. The invitation is just an invitation to relationship. Follow me. Learn my yoke. Step into the way of life I'm teaching you, not religious rules. I'm going to teach you how to live in the way. The rules and all that are just how to, how to live well in the parameters of a structure, but I'm going to teach you how to live the way you were intended. It's relational. And I'm just going to pray this morning that as the next weeks unfold, that everybody who wants to would hear the voice of Jesus as he heard Matthew heard it that day. Follow me. As the band comes right now, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Would you mind bowing with me? <clears throat> Father, as we close in this moment, it's, um, I feel like the youth pastor still again, or that guy on the stage trying to call out commands to people to try and find their way in a, in a confusing place with voices that are crying out all kinds of crazy directions. They're getting them turned around and backwards and people are running into things and they're breaking their hearts and they're breaking their resources and they're breaking their families and they're breaking and God their dreams are coming apart and, and God what I'm praying is that you would let their, your voice be heard the spirit of God would whisper to each person here today the same whispers of every heart that yearns would long to hear follow me follow me come to me all you who are weary and beat up by life I want to give you life and life to the fullest. I pray, Lord Jesus, people would hear that call today. Wherever they're at in their spiritual journey, that today people would begin to realize it's relationship that you're after. It starts there. It starts with me learning to follow you. And this is the moment, Lord God, where we just kind of open our hearts to be honest and say, okay, God, um, I start in a broken place. I start in a place, Lord, that it's not altogether beautiful, pretty, and even spiritual. I just, but I start. And today I hear your call, and I, and I want to respond, yes. And if that's you, then a simple prayer. I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you want to pray this just between you and God in your own heart, do so. Dear God, I just come to you today with an open heart and some of the shame and some of the brokenness and some of the pain I've felt in the past. I want to bring it to you. You said to take my yoke and give it to you, and I could have your yoke, to trade our backpacks. The mind is broken and causing me a lot of pain, and you want to give me life. I want to follow you. I admit, I don't bring the best to the equation. I bring sin and failure and disappointment and heartbreak and some things I'm really ashamed of. But that's then again why I come to you, because you said you can heal me. So I ask for that. Let this be the beginning of a journey that we take together, oh God, that we would be, that we'd be able to tune in, that I would hear your voice and follow you. This journey would be a journey in the way of Jesus.
I give you my life. I give you my trust. And I ask you to lead me. In Jesus' name, amen. And folks, we are so excited about taking this journey with you. If you are new and you just like want to know more, we have Bibles at the hotspot. Pick them up. They're free. If you'd like resources, we also have some others struggling with what to believe about Christianity. We have stuff there as well. But be back on Wednesday. We're going to break this down a little bit more and talk about it in groups. Let's stand together. Let's worship one last song before we leave today. Let's sing.
Thank you for joining us this morning. We'll see you next Sunday.